Sturdy for 30 this week, we have a very special guest, a friend of mine who has uh, been covering the Illini since the turn of the century. That's 20th century. Not It wasn't the 19th. He wasn't there then, but close, close. But uh, he's also a Hall of Famer, so this is special. So uh, now he's a Hall of Famer, and that's Lauren Tate. Um, Lauren Tate, uh, tell me about being a Hall of Famer now. How's that feel? Well, I would tell you that I've lived long enough <laughs> that uh, they finally got around to me, but uh, I think they just ran out of everybody else. But I I was sitting, I actually was sitting with my wife and we were just getting ready to watch a TV show and, and the phone rang, it was Malcolm Moran calling to tell me this. And, and uh, I was stunned. I didn't know that, that my name was even up. And as it turned out later, I talked to Bob Hamlin and said, well, they've been skipping over you for 20 years. <laughs> so I, so this was my year to, uh, uh, to make it. And I'm really thrilled to be on there with people like uh, Dana O'Neill and, and uh, others that, uh, you know, are really heavyweights. And at least they got one lightweight in with the heavyweights. That's all. Hey, everybody has a role, right? I mean, lightweight, heavyweight, it's all good. It's all good. So, no, obviously you've had a great career in, in uh, covering Illinois athletics. And, and and what is, as you look back, I mean, it's got to kind of give you some a little bit of, you reminisce a little bit about the, the history and the with the Illinois athletics. And what, what do you think uh, back to? Look, like you, at one time, you won't believe this, at one time I was just a jock. You know, I, I played baseball till I was 35, 36 years old, and I came to Illinois at that time. In fact, uh, the day, uh, two days before I arrived in Champaign, I was in the National uh, Baseball Congress uh, World Series in, in Omaha. And I took a train all the way from Omaha back and started my work on a, on a Saturday in, uh, in Champaign. So the idea, and I've said this before, the idea of writing anything negative about Illinois never occurred to me because, you know, I tried out for the baseball team here and I tried out for the basketball team. I won numerals in both those as a freshman and then got cut as, as a sophomore <laughs> and as a junior in baseball. So, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I was, I thought of myself as a, I was just enjoying playing athletics and writing about athletics and it just seemed like a natural thing to do. My dad was in the newspaper business over in Monticello. He, he owned the uh, Piatt County Republican. Uh, so um, that's where I get my conservative roots. And uh, so, you know, I, I, I just combined journalism with, with sports. And, and the first thing that happened uh, uh, was the slush fund scandal in December of the very year that I was hired. I hired in September and, and the slush fund hit in December. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I ceased to be a uh, you know, to be able to write favorable things. There was nothing favorable about the slush fund. And, and we had a lot of problems over the years, all the way up through Stoner and others that kind of changed my perspective on how I had to be, uh, what kind of a sports writer I had to be. And, and obviously, you know, team success, We both of, I have go, both of us have gone through, we've seen some teams that are wildly successful we've got to cover. And we've seen some that have been pretty bad. And, and so we kind of go through that uh, historically. You've had even longer, you know, you've gone through scandals to, you know, final fours to, you know, maybe, you know, football team going to the Rose Bowl, all those things. And yet, you know, what's it like? How do you have to adjust as you're going through that? I think that um, the thing that caused me to adjust was the, was the initial um, getting hit in the face with the slush fund right away. And then, and, you know, at, at that time, Harry Combs was, uh, a very dear friend of mine and the family, and he was from Monticello. And uh, I played golf with Harry when I was in 
in high school. And I, I'll never forget, uh, I met Harry in, in his brother's pool hall in Monticello when I was getting ready to, to come to the University of Illinois. And, and Harry said, look, he said, if you want to play basketball, you need to go to Eastern. <laughs> he says, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, I, I think he let me be, I, I let, I, actually, I was a better pool player than Harry and I let him beat me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we, we kind of settled that. But I came, I wanted to come anyway. And, and, uh, and I did. And, but I knew my, my situation was, uh, you know, I wasn't going to get a play, but I did uh, spend some time on the court with the, with the players and got to know them all. And, you know, my, my roommate, my freshman year was Don Sunderledge, who was the MVP of the Big Ten that year. And, uh, I mean, I was steeped in, in Illini culture, you know, cheap Illini, everything. It was just, it was just, it, 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 I had to make a, I had to adjust my, my thinking. And, and it's never been fun to write negative things about Illinois, but uh, you have to be honest. And I, I try to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. It, it sometimes doesn't, you don't like doing it, but sometimes you just have to, because that's the way things have worked out. We've gone through, we're, we're in the middle of a basketball season. You and I were one of the, maybe what, a hundred people who were in the State Farm Center Friday night, maybe? 190. Uh, there's a, there's a 190? record. <laughs> record, record attendance. So uh, we were in the, what, what were your thoughts on the game Friday? It was pretty, it was a really fun game to watch. I mean, and I know Illinois won, so we look at it better, but it was a fun game. Well, it's, it's a couple of things jump out at me. Number one, uh, it, it seemed like Illinois had its back to the wall. And, and, and when you have your back to the wall, everybody played up to his ability. In other words, this has been, to, in my mind, in some games, almost a two-man team with uh, Io and Kofi. And in this game, we've got a tremendous performance, by far the best performance since his sophomore year out of Frazier. And I thought that Curbelo played well, and I thought Granison played well. And what, what you got was a balance and, and what, uh, what uh, Underwood called connectivity that, uh, that carried this team uh, through. And, and it took some great play, you know, took a couple turnovers and made free throws late in the game to pull it out. But I don't necessarily think Illinois is a better basketball team than Iowa. I think Iowa's got a, a much more a stronger offensive unit. But Illinois played really good defense and just did what they had to do to win the game. And now, you know, you face that old situation of going against uh, Indiana and then Wisconsin and, and, you know, and then Michigan, assuming they'll be back on the 11th. And so what we're, you, you win one game in the Big Ten this year and, and you just don't want to let that affect the next, the next week. Yeah, and I, I was actually writing about that as well. Like, you can't have a letdown. You go to Indiana and you've got to bring that same energy because Indiana is – Still, they're they're dangerous, and we know Wisconsin's dangerous, and and obviously Michigan's really good uh, if they can play. How do you think the uh, layoff? Do you think the layoff had any effect on either one of those teams last night? I, I saw two teams that seemed to be ready to play, but I didn't see a layoff. But I've seen Michigan State look like they've never played basketball before, so I guess everybody's well, I just, a little bit different. Yeah, I just watched Michigan State play again today against Ohio State, and they're just not very good. I mean, I don't know what <laughs> else to say it. I mean. They've won two Big Ten games, and I don't see right now, I don't think they're in the NCAA tournament at the rate they're going. I don't know how. They just didn't replace uh, either their point guard or their big guy, Tillman. And, uh, you know, and, and Cassius Winston was such a force, and Tillman was such a great player in the middle. And then they just haven't replaced those two. And, and uh, this is not a – I think we just expect automatically for Izzo to have a great team every year, and this year they don't. Have you seen you, – you've covered, obviously, the Big Ten for a long time. When's it, do you remember it being this strong top to bottom? I, mean, I remember years when we maybe had – there was like 
three teams that make the final four back in the eighties or something, but do we have, have we had a, the depth that we've had in the league this year? I mean, it's, it's pretty astonishing to me how, you know, 11, 12 teams still on the NCAA tournament grid. On one hand, the bottom middle is much stronger, but I will tell you there were more NBA players in 1989 than there are this year because we don't have any NBA players other than I I mean, I don't even think uh, Garza is going to go in the first round. I, you know, back in those days in 89, we had a whole series of, of players that were of that quality and Iowa was really good and Indiana was good and Purdue was good and Illinois was really good. And I, I, I don't know. I, there was more, I don't, I think the top, if you just took the top five or six teams, I think the 89 teams, the 89 season was stronger, but now you've got more depth through five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, they were older too. It's, I mean, you know, guys stuck around in college yep. longer. And so you, yeah, so that's a huge. You know, the teams that are successful now are the are the ones where the players didn't turn pro. Like Io and Kofi didn't turn pro; they stayed. But uh, players on other teams have, have been uh, leaving, and and I don't think you know it, it, we always do this too early uh, projection for the next season. But you just don't know anything about the next season. Do you see who's coming back? And and by the way, who transfers? Just think how much easier it is to transfer today than it was a year back in the in the late '80s and the '90s. You had to sit out a year every time. Well, that would that would slow you down about making a decision. You you stick around where you are rather than have to sit out a year. It, today, and it sounds like we're going to have free free transfers this year, um, and so guys can just go play wherever they want. Don't have to sit out a right. year. And is that going to be? I mean, are we going to see? How, we we get like 700 college basketball transfers a year now. Is there going to be more? I mean, can there be more? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to go over. Now, you know, uh, football's already gone over 2,000. I think by next year it'll go over 3,000. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy. It's just, I don't think that, I I think that everybody's got his own uh, concerns about his own life, and there isn't much loyalty to the university that I felt back when I was in school, you know, that all the players on our team were guys that, that were connected with the university for the rest of their lives, that they, they loved the university when they were here and they, and they came back on a regular basis. We don't have that now. We just don't have enough players coming back and uh, over, over, and particularly those who come from out of state and those who transfer in, they're here and they're gone. You've obviously had some great, you know, memories covering Illinois basketball and Illinois football and, and these things. Would you, do you have any, what stands out? Like if you look back at it, what is the thing? I mean, you mentioned the slush fund. What's a positive thing? Like that was probably the most fun you've had covering uh, over the past, you know, how many years have been? What's your, what's your, how many years? Well, I came, I came here in the, in the, in the fall of 66. So the first year that I covered Illinois was 66, 67, but I was attending games long before that of course I attended games before I even came to college so I go back to the 40s uh, <laughs> 1940s I came to Illinois games in the 1940s I came to Illinois football games I remember in 1946 I, I attended the home games that year and my dad as I said ran the paper and he had a connection with coaches over here and played ball with a lot he had played ball with a lot of people like Harry Combs and so it wasn't difficult for us to get tickets uh, he had a he had an in and of course, I took advantage of that in some cases. But any, no, I, I think that uh, no, uh, I, my feelings would be a little different than most people because I've been around so long and I was so affected when when I was uh, like a, a, a classmate of 
not a classmate, but uh, in school with Don Sunderledge and followed that team so close and knew all the players so well that that meant so much to me. I mean, Breed Armbar Morris were good, close friends of mine when they, you know, and Big Peterson went to Monticello with me. He was a center on the team and he, he and I ran around together there for early for a while. So I, I have a, you know, it's different when you're, when you really know people. Now the, the 89 team, of course, the 88 and 89 teams were tremendous to cover. And, and then, uh, and then I, I, of course the 2005 team was, uh, that was uh, an enormous thrill to, to be able to follow those guys all the way to the state championship game. If you, as you kind of look at the, uh, the foot, you've seen a lot of coaching changes over the years. Some, some cause guys left, you know, we had some guys leave and then we've had some guys that have had to been fired and we're going through a football coaching change right now. Now I, maybe I'm, you know, I'm not as, not as uh, seasoned, um, but I would say that Brett Bielema has probably done about as good a job with the message here and the marketing of his hire as any coach that they've hired over the past, you know, 20 years for me. No, he's he by far the best uh, in the press conference and in, in a, taking the approach he has, particularly with the high school coaches, particularly in, in, in the lineup of uh, assistant coaches he's brought in. Uh, this is a very encouraging at a time when we certainly need it. And, and he's, he's much more friendly to the media than Lovey was. I mean, you always had the feeling of Lovey when he went to a press conference trying to remember all the things he didn't want to tell us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I don't see that, I, you know, up to this point, this is, this is the most encouraging for me way more since, since Mike White, uh, Moeller just didn't want to have much to do with us. I mean, he was from the Schimbeckler school and, and he, he shut us out. That was the first time that I remember really being shut out from, from knowing what was going on internally. I mean, when, when just, just imagine this, uh, Brad, my first year, I, I was close friends with Pete Elliott. Before, I was, I was his contact guy for recruiting in Northwest Indiana before I came down here. That's how deeply I was. I was secretary for the Illini Club, <laughs> <laughs> whatever secretary means. And with Lou Boudreau and, and, and the people that we had in our club at that time, and Ray Elliott would come to speak to us. And then, of course, Pete. And... Uh, the first when 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 there was a, when they had a, a practice or a game, uh, I would walk in the locker room while they're showering, and I talk to the guys, and they'd go in the shower, and then they'd come out, and I talk to them, and I talk to Pete, and talk to the assistant. I mean, it was just wide open, and and you know, all of a sudden, Mueller got here, and all that changed, and I you know, I really felt shut out. Yeah. It's tough. And we go through a time period where sometimes coaches are a little bit, they feel like you're, you know, you got to make sure you're kind of, you're with them. I think, you know, nowadays they don't want to be that, they don't want to get negative press um, as we go through it. Is there a, so Bielam has done a fantastic job. I think Underwood's, you know, started off a little slow with those first two years. You feel like he's uh, been the right guy to write the ship here in basketball. Obviously they're there this year. But I the do. Future. I think Underwood's the right guy. I, I think that he's, uh, I think he, I'm, I'm very positive about his uh, program and, and, and I know he had a really rough start and things didn't work out with Mark Smith and that really turned to EJ Liddell and others at St. Louis and of course Tillman got away and uh, the, the, the St. Louis thing collapsed on us. Uh, it had that not happened, had we been able to stay with that St. Louis group, Illinois would really be good because you saw, uh, you know, uh, EJ Liddell got another 20 today for Ohio State. Well, if he was getting... 15 or 20 for Illinois at that position where, where Illinois is not getting much scoring until they put Granison in and, 
he he's a little better, but he's not he's no AJ Tillman. Right, right, yeah, yeah, he's different. He's a he's a nice player. I I think that that move has been good for Illinois. Putting Grandison in there, but he's not EJ Liddell. So um, as we go through, so uh, 2020, we we look back at 2020, and I, we're gonna have you've been through a lot of years, and I don't think we've ever seen a year like this. And, and you know, with the pandemic and being you know not having sports for so long, we also lost some you know guys that are really close to you. I know, and, and Lou 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 being one of them, Lou Henson and. Um, do you have any great Lou Henson? I know you have so many Lou Henson memories. Um, give me some great Lou Henson stories or memories for. Oh, I don't know if I could do that, but I, I, the things I think about is Lou is, uh, he was pretty strict with the players and, you know, everybody thinks of Lou as a really friendly guy, but he was really tough on the players. I never forget we were out, out, uh, out East playing in the NIT or the, I don't know if it was an early NCAA game. I can't even remember what the game was, but we were on the East coast and big George Montgomery got hurt. He couldn't play. So they sat, they, we all sat, they, they invited me over to dinner with the team and, and we all sat down and, you know, I might've had a beer. I don't know. I, I, might have <laughs> had, I sometimes drink one beer at a dinner and, and I looked up and George ordered a hard drink <laughs> and, and he wasn't playing. He said, well, might as well have a drink. And Lou found out about it. Boy, he just threw a fit right away. That was really funny. George thought, well, what the heck? I'm not playing. I'll just have a drink. And I don't remember what it was. It was some kind of hard liquor. Yeah. But, uh, and I remember the time that Lou called, that uh, Lou was trying to run a clean program and doing the very best he could. And, and he heard that Altenberger was in down south in Robinson or someplace playing playing golf. Uh, it wasn't Robinson, but it was a, a school. is a town in the south, and and uh, he, he sent Dick Nagy down there to bring him back because he was afraid they'd give him something free down there. And so <laughs> Altenberger had to get in the car, didn't really play golf, and had to come back. There were a lot of things like that happened, but Lou was such a good guy, and you know, and and I did. I wrote some things, uh, you know, that that weren't necessarily favorable to him along the way when they had bad things happen. And and you know, I just stayed away from him for a day or two. I just made a point to not go near him until a couple of days had gone by. And by that time, he'd forgotten about it, and I'd forgotten about it, and we just went ahead. And so, when he retired, then uh, we became really close friends. Yeah, he's just a wonderful human being, and I I got to come to a couple practices back in the day, and. Um, you know, people had, you know, the, this you th seemed like he was really, you know, nice guy. But yeah, you're right. Exactly. He was tough on those guys. I mean, he put them through the paces in those practices. There's no question. You know, I, I, I can't tell you anything that I haven't said before because, you know, I, it, it, all these stories kind of keep coming up. But Lex and I went with Mary and Lou downtown one time and we parked and he had to walk down Neal Street by, by all those, uh, all those those restaurants that, that had chairs out on the uh, out on the street side there, and I never forget we were we decided we were going to walk to maybe we were going around to the Esquire I don't know and and we started walking and all of a sudden the word just shot through that crowd that Lou Henson was there and every table and this I'm talking about 20 or 25 tables down the along the way. He stopped it. Everyone thought they all thought they knew him firsthand. You know that was the that was the way he treated everybody. He loved that, and uh, so many coaches. And I think that Lovey is like that. Lovey was like that. He just I don't think he wanted to be around a lot of people. I think that he would rather not. But Lou just loved being around people, and he uh, when he played golf, he played with just you know the he wasn't looking for somebody that was going to give a donation or anything like that. He just played with the the regular guys and. 
and uh, he—that's he, the way he was. He, he went, when he went to the, we went to the Final Four in 1989, and uh, Digger Phelps and and Bob Knight and all those guys were were there uh, the day before the the thing started, and they were having this big event in this uh, kind of a ballroom there with a bunch of coaches, and. They said, where's Lou? And I looked over and Lou was sitting with some guy that looked like he was about as old as me now and uh, had a big red nose and, you know, and he was, he and Lou were talking intently. And I, I said, Lou, who was that? He says, that guy loaned me a car when I was at Hardin Simmons. And, then, <laughs> <laughs> and he was, he was he's sitting with him rather than sitting with the coaches. That's just the kind of guy he was. Yeah, he's a, just an amazing man. So, um, so as we go, it's now you mentioned golf, and you're you were a good golfer. Are you still a good golfer? That's, I. That's a hard. That's a, a good. I I wouldn't say it was good. I wouldn't say it was good. I was average. Let's give me average. You know. No. I I I. I, I I wasn't near as good as I wanted to be. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's true for every, all of us, all of us. But uh, what do you? <laughs> are you still shooting your age? Can you shoot your age still? Well. Yes, yes and no. Yeah, I, I shot, I had some good rounds this summer, but on my 89th birthday, I shot 90. <laughs> I was trying to shoot my age and shot one over, but uh, I had some rounds in the 80s this year. You know, it's funny. I was actually talking, I told uh, Jay Price, who used to be in Illinois, I was talking to him today and I told him I was talking to you today for a 30 for 30 and he said, yeah, I remember he told me, you know, talking about your golf game. And he said, you told him one time you shot your age. This was, and of course, this was like 12 years ago. So it was like 80 or 78 or whatever, you know, it was like a while back. And he said, he said, he looked at you and said, Lauren, 90 is not that good. And he, <laughs> so that was a few years back. So, <laughs> so no, uh, you obviously. Well, I tell you, I had a really hot day. Excuse me. When I was 72, I shot 72. That's the best I ever did. I mean, that's the lowest score I ever had was a 72. I did that a couple of times, but I never shot below 72. Wow. That's fantastic. It's 72. So I, I, if I shoot my age right now, that'd be really good. So um, I, I may have to stop it and stop <laughs> it like 10 holes. <laughs> so, um, but no, Hey, uh, obviously well, I didn't I, tell you the other, the other. 50. <laughs> so go ahead. No, I, I just want to, congratulate you on just a, what's been a fantastic career covering Illinois athletics. You are, you know, we often call you Mr. Illini and things. I mean, and uh, you know, I've really enjoyed getting to know you over the past, you know, 17, 18 years covering the team. So I just wanted to uh, let you know how much we appreciate you and, and tell you congratulations here from all of us. Well, thanks. I really appreciate it. It's a lifetime achievement award and I'm just glad I stuck around for it. Well, hey, sometimes that's it. So you're like that guy that makes the Hall of Fame because he played 25 years, right? So you got, you know, only needed 100 right. hits a year, right? So. You're not comparing me with Aaron, are you? <laughs> well, so, so you can go with that. You can go with that. So, hey, I, I told Lucas Johnson he was a former star player the other day, and he's still, he's he's my friend now. So that's all it took. So it's a. Hey, I saw Lucas Johnson with his wife. I never met her before, and I turned to her and I said, you know, when he was in school, I covered every foul he made. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, his wife actually played college basketball at DePaul. So, uh, yeah, so that's a they got some good uh, good genes there. So, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on, Lauren. Appreciate you talking to us. And, again, congratulations on being uh, named to the Hall of Fame. It's well-deserved. And uh, we will see you this week. We got Indiana and Wisconsin, so we'll catch up with you then. All right. Thanks, Brad.
All right, Sturdy for 30, uh, signing off. Lauren Tate was our guest this week. Uh, thanks and congratulations to Lauren.